0: But it's due. Let's, uh, let's read and then we will pray. Now, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. That's describing what took place in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 48. So, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the the blessing of your word and the blessing of your son. If we take a step out of our religious sense and just consider for a moment what we're praying for, it seems an odd and amazing thing that we pray thanking you for putting your son to death on our behalf. But we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that in your wisdom and your way, you saw the sins of men heaped up beyond their ability to repay. You saw man leaving good undone, and you saw man refusing to do the good that you called them to walk in, instead, embracing wickedness and evil. You see, the Bible says, that every intention of our heart, every thought, every act is continually wicked without giving you glory. And yet, you set your affections on human beings. You sent your Son to die in our place that we might be forgiven, cleansed from guilt, that that which would drag us into hell purified and sent away, your spirit placed within us. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for being willing to pay the price for us. Lord, you are worthy of our praise. We sing at times songs that relate the blessing of friendship with you, but Father, may we not forget that though you are our friend, you are still sovereign king and creator of the universe, and we have no right to get in your way when it comes to the proclamation of the gospel. And so we pray, Father, that you would let your words speak to us today, that you would allow your agenda to shine through, that your motives, your methods, your prerogatives, your priorities would override us and that we would see where you are going and that we would follow you and not ourselves or our desires or our designs. Father, have your way with our minds and hearts. Now we pray and lead us in the way of life eternal. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there is a need for repetition. A couple of months ago I, I mentioned this and uh, several teacher types among you said, yes, yes, repetition is good, so repeat yourself. So uh, I will repeat myself this morning uh, partly because God repeats himself in the scriptures, in, in, in uh uh, preaching and teaching I, I've often been helped by a, a comment made by a, a professor of mine dr. Brad Mullen who interestingly uh, several of us will be going up to uh, to uh, Calvary Church in Lancaster in just a uh, couple weeks to go to Calvary Church and uh, and, and to attend a, a seminar on, on taking missions to a whole nother level at, at harvest and and um, and, and, and Dr. Mullen, before preaching a sermon, just kind of as, as an aside, he probably wouldn't even remember making this comment, or maybe he would, because uh, his brain is like this, although his, his head is normal. Um, he said that preaching basically comes down, preaching and teaching that's faithful comes down to the command of Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.14, where Paul tells Timothy, remind them of these things. Remind them of these things. The Christian life should not be this constant experience of, oh, I never knew that. You know, coming to church and, and hearing a sermon should, we, we should not be trained to. To be sniffing out new ideas constantly. Uh, it was a good sermon. Why? Because I heard things I'd never heard before. At some point in the Christian life, you should understand and know the basics of the message, and have have gotten the details down, and understand uh, God's love for you, and and the need to obey, and and the grace of God in Christ on the cross, and and understanding what will happen in the future. And maybe there'll be some things like, wow, I never heard that before. But but in general, there is not a lot of unrevealed story in the Christian life. When you become a Christian, you either buy or somebody should give you a Bible. You, you get the whole story. It's right here. It's in your hands. But we forget, and so being reminded of things is of the utmost importance. Luke repeats this story, and we'll repeat it twice more in future chapters, maybe even more than that. I, I'm, I'm I'm saying twice more, believing that that's what the number is, but I I could be wrong. Uh, Luke repeats it because Luke's focus is the words of Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and then to the uttermost ends of the earth. The, the gospel would come forth in spirit and power as the, the Holy Spirit descends on the church and the church would erupt out into the nations. And we've seen that slowly happen in the first 10 chapters of Acts. But we see the the, the, the path of the church, the, the focus of Luke in the gospel is shifting off of the church in Jerusalem. When we hit Acts chapter 9, verse 17, 15, we hit a second statement of Luke guiding the, the book forward. When, when Saul is converted and he becomes Paul, he, he is confronted on the Damascus road. God, God arrests him and changes the course of his life. And as Paul submits to God's instruction, he, he learns that this will be the path of his life. Acts nine fifteen. this is what God says to Ananias. The Lord said to him, go For he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. The gospel has remained primarily in Jewish circles, but God's desire is to bless all nations. And so he says to to, to Ananias about Saul that he's going to carry God's name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And I'll show him how much he must suffer it took the church a long time to learn this lesson, that the gospel was not just for Jews, that the gospel was not just for the people whom God had used to bring Messiah into the world, that the gospel was not just for a particular class of religious people or, or a certain number of, of shiny, happy people or sparkly people or pretty people or intelligent people. The gospel was for all. And so when it breaks forth, Luke plants there and dwells and is going to drive this message home. He emphasizes it multiple times. We see... The report of Peter as he returns from taking the gospel across uh, the the ethnic boundary. He, he is summoned by Cornelius and he takes the gospel to him. Cornelius hears the gospel message, responds to it, and Peter proclaims good news. But then he leaves the region he was in and he goes back to Jerusalem and the report spreads. By the way, this is part of the reason why when somebody goes out on a missions trip, we give them time to show pictures and to share. Uh, we, we want... You to hear reports from them. this is part of the reason why we have Sunday schools and we let our missionaries come, and it's part of the reason why uh, in the coming weeks, as we send the Franklins out, we'll be sending them out, because these are good and godly things to celebrate. Because God is working through His people, taking the gospel out into the world. We want to give due time and attention to that. Peter comes home and people are asking him, "Peter, what happened? And he's telling the report, and the report is spreading. It says the apostles and the brothers throughout the region of Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. They heard the word, and they embraced the word. This is, this is the good news that we ought to be celebrating over and over again. When people hear the word, and they receive it, and then they walk in it. The proper response. So many times, missions... Or ministry is reduced to simple numbers. And and we, we judge other people's churches or other pastors' effectiveness or other people's Bible study effectiveness based on the number of people who pray to receive Christ or who are in attendance. Numerical growth is good, but it's not always the greatest sign of health. Transformed lives and behavior is the best fruit to judge. James: 121 through 25 says this, "Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, turning away from sin and turning towards Christ. Receive with meekness. Meekness rhymes with weakness, but it's not the same thing. Meekness is great strength under control. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. You know what the natural face is? The lady at the checkout counter yesterday at Giant saw my natural face. I went down to the uh, the dump and I I threw away some things that that had been hanging around the house. And then Nancy had said, you know, I gotta, gotta do this, gotta do this. Could you go and stop at the grocery store and pick up these things and so I went with my natural face on I don't wear my natural face when I come on Sundays I wake up and I look in the mirror and I think some adjustments need to be made (laughs) on Friday or Saturday on my day off I'll like roll out of bed and I'm like you know I smell tolerable (laughs) you know I'll just keep my distance from people you know but when I walked into Giant yesterday my hair was like this it was like all flipped back and whatnot and I came home and it was the first time I looked in the mirror and I was like Yes! You know, she was like, have a nice day. (laughs) Where are you going with all those eggs, crazy guy? This is what what happens when we're believers. If we don't become doers, we just become hearers. We are deceived, you know. I I did not, for a moment, having looked at myself, like, point in the mirror and be like, looking good, you know. (laughs) But many of us in our Christian life, we're like, I'm doing good, I've got Jesus, right, you know, I, I, I'm saved, I'm assured, once saved, always saved, go to heaven, everything's great, because I prayed a prayer. Instead, what we're called to do is on a daily basis to take that word and to use it as a grid in our lives and to say, what is out of joint. What is, what is wrong here? And let me adjust that and fix that, right? You take that natural face and you look at it and you think that face needs to be washed and shaved and brushed. The crust needs to be wiped away from the eyes and the nose needs to be wiped. And, you know, the face needs to be cleansed, shave, you know, comb, do all that stuff. Spray that wild, crazy hair and hold it down. That's what we're to do with our lives. That's an embracing of the word. I hear the scripture. We sang a line this morning that resonated with me. Forgiven so that I can forgive. And I started debating. Should I change that you know, and, and, and make it read different? But I don't think I should. I think, I think that the point that we should take away from that is that we understand that when we know and live in the forgiveness of Christ that we will be forgiving to others. That, that our forgiveness flows from the forgiveness that we have in Christ. And so knowing Christ, seeing God's word, and understanding what I'm called to do in relation to other people, I then go out into my life forgiving. And if I've failed to forgive someone, I say, you know what? I need to forgive that person. Or or if I have not considered an offense against me by someone, then I pursue that and I work towards resolution and forgiveness. You don't just look at the word and say, oh, that's nice. I can think of seven people that applies to. I'll, I'll, I'll send them emails. I thought of you today, and I thought you should put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And here are seven ways in which you should do that. No, apply to ourselves. If we look into a mirror... And then we go away and forget what we look like. We deceive ourselves, is what James says. But one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The Gentiles had received the word. It wasn't just Peter came back and said, oh, you know, a thousand people came to the meeting and 200 were really interested and and there's a church that's meeting there and there's like seven people in it, you know, nobody, nobody shows up really. But we did a great job there, you know. They embraced the word, transformation was taking place. And that's what they were celebrating. But you know what? Someone's always going to complain. Someone's always going to complain, and the criticism rises up. If you're in ministry, if you're in leadership, if you are a mom or a dad, if you teach a Bible study or you lead in some ministry area in your life, expect to be criticized. Expect someone to complain. Look at what it says. Peter went up to Jerusalem. The circumcision party Criticized, And these are the guys who think that in order to become Christians, uh, everybody needs to become Jews. They need to be circumcised. He says, you, they say to him, you went into circumcised men and you ate with them. Or you went into uncircumcised men and you ate with them. These men were not right. They were not proper. They have not uh, observed the proper religious details. You can't be with them. They can't be saved. And they begin to criticize Peter's message. People will criticize what you said. And if you defend what you said, oftentimes people will con- uh, condemn or criticize how you said it. The words you used, the things you didn't say, the examples you used, the example that you should have used. I've gotten over it. Every now and again, someone will come up to me and say, oh, I thought you were going to say this this morning. I thought you were going to use this illustration. I'm like, how long do you want this sermon to be? You want me to be quiet at any point? I will. I'll keep, I'll keep going. It's got to stop at some point. Notice Peter's response. He does not respond with indignance here. He does not give himself the right to be offended. Instead, Peter, I think, understanding that he is a sinful man and he is fallen, he explains himself and he does it in a way that is good and godly. He doesn't give himself room to be bothered or to take it personally. I'll talk about that in just a second. But listen to his example. I think he embodies this teaching of Paul to Timothy. This is what Paul tells Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 22. Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Ignore the criticizers, the rock throwers. Ignore them and and work with those who are pursuing the Lord. Verse 23 of 2 Timothy 2, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. There's two ways to pursue fighting in the church when you consider the phrase, stop fighting. And I've explained this to my boys over and over again, and I'm not sure I've quite gotten the traction in their lives that I'm, I'm interested in. Stop fighting can be received two ways, right? It can be like, cease the present hostilities, which are going on right now. Stop fighting. Enough already. But then there's an active way in which you can obey stop fighting, which means you will take an active part in ceasing the hostilities. It's okay, right? You can say this. It's okay. Don't be offended. You actually are, are, are part of stopping the fighting. You actively suppress it instead of just calming down in the midst of the conflict. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Peter is involved in suppressing difficulty here. Look at, look at what you're called to embody as a Christian, as a servant of Christ. Verse 24, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. You know, ready to go. The minute that, that, that some criticism is leveled, it's like, oh, my whole world is crashing down on me. Somebody doesn't like me. There's this great cartoon that's on on the web somewhere of a, uh, of, a, of a guy who's refusing to go to bed. His wife is like, go to sleep already. It's like 2 o'clock in the morning. And he says, no, somewhere on the Internet, someone is wrong. <laughs> right? You know, it's like, man, don't take it so personally. Let it go. Sleep. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness the way that we do things is just as important as what we do. I'd say perhaps it might even be more important because you can be right and yet lose a battle if what you're working for is the heart and mind of the person you're trying to correct. The way we do things is as important as what we do. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Peter teaches us here to handle objections well. This is This is gospel-focused, gospel-driven thinking. Peter could be like, do you know who I am? I'm Peter. Do you see these spiritual keys that Jesus gave me? in Matthew chapter 16, to open and to close the kingdom. I am numero uno, number one guy in the church. Do not talk to me that way. Or he could correct them in a way that they could be like, you know what, you're right. Let's celebrate. We ought to make sure that when we encounter opposition or difficulty in the Christian life, that we correct things in a way so that people will still want to be friends, brothers, sisters, family with us when the objection is dealt with. Peter stopping and focusing and digging deeper is going to find that this goes further than just personal offense. There's some real massive theological problem hiding here. And though he will handle this situation well and the situation will go away for now, it will rise up again and need to be dealt with. And not in a way that splits this young church that's growing. We need to answer objections well Understanding that ministry, working with people, sharing Christ, is not an efficient labor. People are people and not projects. Sharing and shaping the gospel in individual lives is not efficient. So we see Peter respond properly and what he does is he explains the situation. And he will explain it again and again. Paul says that when we teach, we ought to teach with patience. So we see Peter explain again. In the face of error, instead of being angered and outraged or being personally offended, he explains, I believe that one of the greatest troubles in churches, one of the greatest struggles that we encounter on a daily basis that puts us at odds with brothers and sisters in Christ, with our family members, with those that we work with, with those that we're sharing the gospel with, is offense. And Peter here is very careful to just dig this thing out at the root and to go to the proper solution. Ephesians 4, 25 through 27, this is what Paul says. He says, "'Therefore, having put away all falsehood, "'let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor.'" For we are members of one another. Within the church, there's a need to deal with with falsehood and difficulty and hard feelings and offense because we belong to one another in Christ. Okay? How are we to go about doing this? Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Okay? If something's upsetting you, fine, let it upset you, but don't use it as justification for all kinds of bad behavior. Deal with it in the proper way. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. This means that that being upset about something is okay, but we ought not let it lead us into wrong behavior. We also not let it fester. Don't let it get sick. Don't let it go underground, begin to affect the entire relationship. Verse 27, the end of this. Okay, be angry, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. The devil is always seeking to enter and to influence the church or the lives of individual Christians using offense. And when we nurse offense, when we say yes to he offended me or they don't understand me or how dare they, we give opportunity to the devil. And he does not need any help in deceiving the world. People say that all the time. They're like, let me play the devil's advocate for a minute. And I'm like, really? He doesn't need any help. Why, why, why would you act like you're on his side even for a second? Now go ahead. You can say that all you want. I won't say it to you, I promise. <laughs> I wouldn't want to offend you, but seriously, why would we... Why, why? You would not open your front door and be like, oh, robber, you, you came, you've got a gun, please come in. Snake, you know, you've got pointy fangs full of venom. Slither around the living room floor. Here, play with the baby. You wouldn't do that. And yet, the devil will seek to disarm you and own you and mess with you through a fence. And if your guard is not up, he will dominate you. You do not let this creature into your heart and your soul. Instead, you resist him, and the Bible promises in the book of James that he will flee from you. Listen to Peter's explanation. In verses 4 through 10, he describes the vision again. He's like, I was at the house of Simon the Tanner. I was there. I was on the roof. I was hungry. And you know how... Canning goes, man, that stuff is smelly, and so I was up on the roof, they were preparing some food for me downstairs, and I was praying, and I fell into a trance, and I saw this vision, a giant cloth came down from heaven, full of stuff that I'm not supposed to eat, because I'm a Jew, and then I heard a voice say, rise, Peter, kill, and eat, and I was like, no way, I can't eat that stuff, that's crazy. It's unclean, it's common, I've never done that, and God said, what I have called clean, do not call common, do not call it unclean, and then the the cloth went up and I was like glad that's over and then it came down again and the whole thing happened again and I was like glad that's over and then it happened again three times and you know what three times means in the Bible over and over and over again that means that God is actually talking to you and so I saw this vision and then all of a sudden men arrived from Cornelius I did not send for them they sent for me they came and they said that I was going to, uh, to, to speak some kind of word. They were looking for, for Simon, not Simon the Tanner. I was at Simon the Tanner's house. They were looking for Simon Peter. And so uh, I was like, okay, here I am. But then the Spirit said to me, the Holy Spirit said, go with them and make no distinction. And I was like, what are you interested in? In verse 13, it says that Cornelius said, sent a word. Peter will share a message with, with you. Peter's going to share words that will save you and your family, by which you can be saved. Peter will share this message, by the way, is the means by which all people are saved. Let me me point out two things about this. One is that God provided this door, and then the second thing is how salvation always takes place. This is a divine appointment. You will encounter this in your life, you will be talking with someone and it will be like, blah, 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 you're going on, and then all of a sudden, they'll be like, you know, and that's how I know that I'm going to heaven, and you're like, oh, gospel opportunity right there. Or they'll say, what do you believe about religious things? What do you, what do you think about that? Tell me what you think. You know, it's, it's great, I love it. When I I have this opportunity before someone says, what do you do for a living? I love that. Because, man, it's like the door is wide open. I can say all kinds of great stuff before they get all, like, you know. (laughs) My life's in order. They'll be like, I went to church once. All right, let's talk. Um, Divine appointment. God set this up. I'll talk about how salvation always takes place in a minute. God set this thing up. These men came and they were like, an angel said that you would tell us important things. Please come and tell us. Words that, by which we will be saved. And then Peter says that he went and he shared And that what had happened in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost and what had happened in Samaria when Peter and John went and prayed, that happened. Peter proclaimed the gospel to them the message that Jesus came to take their sins and that if they would put their faith and trust in his death on the cross for for the the sins that they had committed, that they would be saved. And they believed it, and the Spirit came upon them as he was talking. They began to, to speak in tongues, and he's like, This is the sign. This is the sign that that God has moved into this particular group of people. It happened again. And don't you remember, this is verse 16, the word of Christ? Jesus said this over and over. John baptized you with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit would come upon you. And I remembered the words of Jesus. And then he says, adding it all up, what was I supposed to do? What, was the, what other conclusion was there? Verse 17, If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? This is not wimpy deferment, okay? Okay. By the way, man, it really irritates me when somebody's like, you know, those who don't believe the gospel go to hell. And then they're like, how can you possibly believe in hell? And then they say something like, you know, don't get angry with me. I didn't write the Bible. It's like, how wimpy is that? It's in there. It's in the Bible. Own it. This is part of the message that we have to proclaim. Get over yourself. This is an honest explanation. Sorry, by the way, I'm talking about, you know, saying these things without attitude. An offense, and here I am. I'm like, ar, ar, ar. I may be getting in the way. Here, are the words, and maybe not the tone. Um, anyway, this is an honest explanation of what had happened to Peter. This is what happened and how it happened, and the conclusions that he came to. He's not like, don't be mad at me. You know, are you angry with me? I, I, well, I didn't do anything wrong. He's like, w- what other conclusion was there, folks? Look at what happened in this situation. What was I supposed to do? Interestingly, uh, this, this, this word here in verse 17, how could I stand in God's way? This shows up in Acts chapter 8, verse 36. The Ethiopian eunuch believes, and it says, as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? What would stop me from being baptized, Philip. And in, in, in the encounter with, with Peter in Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, when, when uh, Peter preaches the gospel and Cornelius believes, Peter then says, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Peter is overwhelmed and undone with what God is doing right there, and he's like, there is no other conclusion to what God is doing. He's moving among the Gentiles. How can I stand in his way? How can I get in his way and mess up what God is doing? As Christians, I think so often we've got so many things figured out. We, we make plans, we write vision statements, we write ministry models, and we set goals, and we're like, we're going to have this Bible study, and these people are going to come there. And what we do is we forsake God's initiative. God led Peter to that place. He gave him that opportunity to share. You might be striving for a ministry opportunity in your life. You're like, I'd really like to work with children in Africa. Maybe God's giving you opportunities here right now to prepare you for that. I want to be a leader here in the church. Maybe there are opportunities in your life that you can minister right now instead of needing to wait until you're at the big time right maybe you're missing something that's right in front of you and god wants you to lay hold of that he's taking the initiative he's going before you he's leading you to places to minister god dropped this opportunity on peter and he had to so set it up so that peter would be like wow there is no other conclusion other than what god is doing in this situation god's initiative God also brought the key witness, the gatekeeper of the church there to teach Peter this is another gospel opportunity. The door is open for the gospel to go to the Gentiles. By the way, Peter would recognize this, see this, and open that door, and then the the gospel would go out to the non-Jews in a massive way. We're going to see that happen, I believe it's the very next passage. The gospel's going to begin to spread massively among the Gentiles. But Peter's got to be there because Peter's the one who puts the seal of God's approval on situations in the book of Acts. And seeing what God's done, seeing the initiative of God and seeing seeing how God set this all up and he sent the angel and arranged for Peter to be in the right place and then sent the Holy Spirit at the precise time, Peter takes his stand and he is gonna make sure that no one stands in the way of what God is doing in a spirit of winsome holiness in the right way He's going to say, this is where God is going. No one should stand in God's way. Many times, many times, in seeking and sharing the gospel with people, the church defines the method and the way and the audience and the proper response and we chain God in a prison and we say, this is the way that's going to happen. We're, we're going we're to start a ministry for families and this is what we want families to look like. We're going to start a ministry to college students and this is going to be the way they're going to act. We're going to start a, a children's ministry. and We're going to manage it. Instead of just saying God is active and desiring to save particular people, particular kinds of people, and we're going to understand that it's about people and it's going to be inefficient and messy and they're going to spill things on the carpet and cause trouble and not act the way that that mature people act, and that's going to be okay. We need to make sure that we're about God's methods and not our own. God's methods, not our. God's priorities, not ours. I want to be really careful how I say what I say next. Um, many times somebody will come to a church for the first time. Um, you know, somebody will bring a friend and, and I'll talk to them and I'll say, so, you know, what's up with so-and-so? and they'll say something like, well, I asked them what they thought of my church. Uh, I'll say, well, well, what did you think of it? Did you like it? I don't, don't want to be too much condemnation here, but isn't that kind of a ridiculous question? It's ridiculous, and yet I ask questions like this too. What did so-and-so think of church? Did they like it? Instead of asking a more helpful question like, how is it with your soul today? Instead of instead of saying what did you think of church and someone like the music was loud or I like the music or I like this or I like that we we do this like report card system on churches. Wow, well, there were too many announcements or you know uh, I really feel like children should be in the nursery the whole time or you know we'd love to sing this kind of song or that kind of song you know and and, and we get like this rating system. It's like your church gets a minus four. Instead, saying to someone, I thought the part of the service today when he said this was, was helpful. Or, or last night I was at Bible study and I felt convicted that I need to be less critical and more compassionate of other people. Or I felt convicted that I need to be more discerning and less of a total fool. Did, did you find anything in the message helpful? And get on the soul level instead of the like-dislike level, right? Our culture, we're in this approval culture where approval is the commodity of our culture. Our culture gives everything. Points, stars, likes. There's no dislike button anywhere on Facebook. Why? Thumbs up, thumbs down, based on how we like things. Some things are just fixed realities, right? I didn't like the part where the preacher was talking about sin. Well, that's part of the gospel, and you can't change that. And when we design a church that, that it's like, man, now it is so comfy and fuzzy and there's, there's no persecution, there's no meddling, there's, there's no stepping on anybody's toes, it's just great. I love it there. It's like, guess what? It's not a church anymore if the gospel's not there. Instead, what we need to do is we need to dig down to the reality and deal on a person-to-person level with what is going on in their soul in terms of their relationship with God. There's a great book that came out a number of years ago. I, I, I saw it, and I, I picked it up, and I thought, I'm putting this away. I'm not going to buy this book, but it was like 25 cents, and so I bought it. It's called The Gospel Blimp by a guy named Joseph Bailey, and it's about this man in a church who, who's, who hears a sermon about reaching the lost, and he says, I am going to reach the lost, and this is what he does. He buys a blimp and he flies above his town and he dumps tracks in people's yards. <laughs> right, and the story is like how this takes over his life and how he, it's great. I mean, it was written in a very calm, uh, 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 I, I, I'd say organized Age of the Church, when when uh, Baptists had their act together in every area, and they had all these committees and teams. And he, this book is crazy. How this guy disrupts the life of his church, and his family's falling apart, and his marriage is falling apart. He's got to fire up the blimp going out, you know, and he's like pulling into his driveway and people are shouting at him and they're like, we're sweeping up tracks by the bucket load, you know, and he's like, I'm spreading the word of the Lord, right? And eventually, like, he loses funding and, and, and he puts the blimp away and somebody comes over to his house and is like, why not just share the gospel with people that you know and encounter on a daily basis? He's like, that'll never work. The way that people always get saved, always, is by sharing the word of God and the message of the gospel with them. We have a ministry by the mercy of of God. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, where he says, one of my favorite verses on, on preaching in the gospel ministry, in chapter uh, 4 of 2 Corinthians, verse 2, he says, what's required of stewards is that they be found faithful. You've been given this treasure of the gospel, be faithful with it. Well, how do we be faithful? Having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Verse 2. Yeah, verse 2. Uh, but But we have we have, uh, okay, where's, where's that verse? It's missing. Oh, well. Uh, we have renounced disgraceful underhanded ways. It's in 2 Corinthians somewhere. Uh, we have renounced disgraceful underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So there's a spiritual veil there. There's a spiritual problem. And and God needs to break through and illumine the heart and the mind. What are we then supposed to do? Are we supposed to say, come to my church. You'll love my church. My pastor is funny. In your case, you would say, my pastor is not funny, but he tries, and it's fun to watch him struggle. Or you'll be like, the music is good, or we've got ministries for children. I think what we should be saying, we should be trying to build the reality of the gospel in the the life of the person we're sharing with, and we should be saying things like, you will learn the word of God there. What we proclaim is not ourselves, our band. I love our band. Our preaching, our teaching, our ministries, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know what? I may not have my life altogether I may not know all the answers to everything. I might not have every political policy figured out, and I might not be able to tell you every single answer of everything in the Bible, but I do know this, that I was blind and living in darkness, and God showed me Christ. And that's the answer. So what did you think of the message today? Oh, I thought it was a little long. what, what what, what, What about what was said about Jesus? How is it between you and Jesus? What are you doing with your sins? I've got mine too. What are you doing with them? We have this treasure in jars of clay. We put the most, God has put the most precious substance in the universe, the the truth of the gospel, in broken, cracked human vessels to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. If we so organize and make this church efficient, we ought to seek to be more organized and efficient. But if we so make this place so awesome that our people are like, that place is so awesome, you know what they might miss? The gospel. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Why is every single Bible teacher every single Bible study leader, every single mom and dad and disciple, why are they all kind of messed up? Because if they are perfect, people might miss the point. We're afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. The point is not the perfection of the messenger or the style of the way it was all uh, put together or communicated. It's the revelation of the truth that's spoken to whoever needs it, wherever and whoever they are. Peter points them to remember the Lord Jesus Christ. The objection is basically this. You preach the gospel to imperfect people. And Peter's like, Jesus is showing me that's the point. We've been confining him here in Jerusalem, and then he broke out and spread to Judea by the power of the Spirit. And then we confined and chained him there. And then he went to Samaria, and we were like, okay, you want to go there? What's up with that? And then, and then when, when we would not go to the Gentiles, he went there anyway. He is breaking out, and we cannot stand in his way. Remember the Lord Jesus. Luke does, interestingly, twice luke 5 verse 29 uh, jesus has said to levi follow me and levi does that that's matthew levi follows him levi made a great feast in his house and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining a table with him the pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners why did you go into uncircumcised men it's the repeated exact same question Jesus answered them, verse 31, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus, post-cross, might say, I don't come to the righteous, I come to give righteousness to those who repent. Luke 15, 1, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. What is it about Jesus that those who are sinful and lost and spiritually blind are attracted to this guy? What must he have been like? The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And he told them this parable, which man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country? By the way, he's not abandoning those ninety-nine. They kind of stay clumped together. That's their sheep. You know, wool, static sort of thing. Keeps them together. People people are like, yeah, that was was a joke. Uh, People are like, like, he left the ninety-nine. It's like, don't worry about them. Not the point. They're fine. He leaves them in the open country. He goes after the one that's lost until he finds it. When he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And by the way, the 99 who need no repentance do not exist. This is the message that's our priority. We ought to be graceful about it, but we ought to be intentional. This ought to be at the heart of our teaching and our communication and our purpose and our scheduling of coffee. And when we just drop by someone's cubicle, and when we just happen to be hanging out at the water cooler when someone comes, man, it's easy to talk about sports for some of you. It's easy to talk about, you know, apps for iPhones and software and this and that and this book and that thing. And it's easy to do that. It's hard to talk about the gospel. But that's what we ought to be out about. We ought to be sharing this with those who need it. And you know what? Sometimes somebody might be like, you're talking to that person? But there, fill in the blank." And what fills in the blank is usually a reason of why that person will not believe the gospel or why they can't become a Christian or why you shouldn't be talking to them, which is like, that's exactly why you should be talking to them. Because they need the message just like you did when you were lost. So Peter lays this all out in a way, I believe, that gives minimal offense. And the reaction is this. When they heard these things, they fell silent. They were convinced. And, there, and being convinced led not to offense, but it led to glorifying God. And they had this sweeping, perhaps cold sweat, goose pimply, chilling revelation moment where they said, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. I believe it's in the book of Isaiah We'll see this in a couple weeks in the book of Acts, where God says to Messiah, as he's preparing to send Messiah into the world and to to die for the sins of the nation Israel, he said, It's too small a thing that you go and handle just the sins of Israel. He says, I will also send you to the nations. Because God desires all kinds of people to be saved. This issue's not over, it's not the end, but Peter has handled it right. And now the gospel can go forward to the nations with the approval of the leadership of the church. What does that mean for the Gentiles? Acts ten thirty-five: In every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now you may object in your heart and your mind and think that associating with people of that bad behavior might affirm that bad behavior. That's what, and, and other people might think that you affirm that bad behavior. Or that associating with people of bad culture will affirm that bad culture. To which I say, nonsense to both. We can all pick out the fact that there's bad culture and good culture. In our, in our culture, it's a, it's a, a PC. PC anti-political correctness thing to say that this culture is better than any other culture. And if you say American culture is better than that culture, people will be like, how dare you, you're intolerant. Uh, I I think the proper answer or the proper qualification of better is this. In what way? In America, we're all like ultra busy. In Africa, when I was there, they've got lots of time for singing, for visiting, for talking, for friends, for just hanging out. And it was kind of relaxing. And I'd say it's a better culture in that way. In Africa, they have high infant mortality and an ignorance of some basic medical and hygienic issues. There's lots of sickness. In America, we have much better health care and a much much better understanding of, of hygiene and these kinds of things. And so it's a better culture. But we kill our own. When I was in Zambia, they, they, they can't believe that. They were astounded. And so that's a better culture. Better in what way? Just sweep that stuff out of the way. Take the gospel where it's needed. Don't let people tell you you can't share the gospel with that person because they'll never. I think that God delights in saving the ones whom everyone thinks will never. Because where is the power then? It's not in them and it's not in you. It's in him and he gets the glory. Who has God placed in your life to reach through you? God's initiative is active in your life. He saved you and he gave you certain friends and contacts. And you are, like Peter, the key witness. You know your circle better than any other. So be sharing and take your stand as you share and share as you as God made you in a spirit of winsome holiness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to um, examine your word. And Father, I pray that there would be no condemnation, but that there would be conviction this morning. I pray that, that we would throw away the restraints that keep us from sharing the gospel, Father, whether they're ignorance or fear or, or uh or or, or opinions of others or, or what might people say if they find out that I'm hanging out with this person or that person, but that we would take our stand in you and in the grace that's abundant to us in Christ. I pray that we would share, Father. You have removed the barriers. You call us to holiness of life, yes, but you call us to be among the people and to share. And I pray that we would do that. Father, you give us opportunities each and every day. May we not squander them like children who don't know the value of a dollar. But instead, may we share in grace and truth that you might be glorified and that your word will have the opportunity to work in the lives and hearts of those who hear. Father, may we not keep it in, but may we release it that you might be glorified. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. I pray if there's anyone here this morning who has not trusted in you, I pray that they would turn from their sinful ways and embrace Christ and glorify you for the rest of their days. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.